Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. <coughs> you want to do that again? <laughs> no. Let's just roll with it. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing over there? I choked on some water. Well, that happens. You know. You can see there's some of it on my shirt here. Yeah. You're just a mess. Yeah. A mess of a mess of a person. But uh You startled me with your hello. Because I was drinking. No, that's not <laughs> what happened. Fair enough. Um I do throw it to you faster than I used to, I think. I just really I, I dive right in. I get right into it. Mm-hmm. But uh all right, so here's the deal. Uh speaking of messes, I'm not as good with the segues as you are. So I was uh, something of an emotional I, I think mess. You're exactly as good as I am. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is that yeah, I guess it's all about how you follow it. Uh-huh. You smile you follow it with a big smile. Uh-huh. Um so anyway, uh so I was something of an emotional mess, David, the other yeah. day. Uh, we talked with uh, Jackie Cation. Uh, thank you, by the way, Jackie, for being on the show. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. And thanks, Kyle, two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. We, we, didn't, we had a guest last yeah. week. We didn't say thanks yeah. to Kyle. Kyle it, was a nice, it was a nice one-two punch of guests. I yeah. really enjoyed both of them. Yeah, people um, whose last name started with K. That was our theme. That's what it's all about. Uh-huh. So, uh, so anyway, we were talking with Jackie about uh, getting iTunes comments and stuff like that. And... Uh, and we all know I tend to internalize things. So I was on iTunes the other day, and I saw, oh, 95 comments. Well, that's yeah. one more than the 94. Let's see if there's, let's see what we've got. Right. So it was a three-star the, comment. Yeah. No, I don't think you want, I think you want to steer, steer clear of using names here. Oh, I didn't remember the, oh, wait, you mean of the other right. thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, shoot. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. So... <laughs> I I had to rethink everything I, just, I was about to say. I, I just broke you a little bit. <laughs> oh, you broke me long ago, David. That sounded uh, more homoerotic than I meant for it to. So, uh, so erotic? The, what? It was homo sad. Is what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, like something out of Oz. <laughs> so, so the uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. So there's a three star rating, and it said uh, it said this show is good, except it's in desperate need of a new host. Mr. So-and-so, I won't say what it was, what the guy's name was. But it was close enough to it your was, name. It was close enough to my name that I assumed they were talking about me but got right. my name wrong. And they say, and I would have assumed they were talking about you before. I read any, when I just said, in need of a new host, I would have said, they got, they're talking about Tyler. <sighs> <laughs> All right, anyway, so, so it, said, uh, it said, you know, uh, every week... Uh, you know the the interviews are are bad. The the host always like interrupts interrupts the 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 guest. He he prefaces too much. He you know he he tries to bring everything back to him. Uh, and I was just like, oh my gosh, do I do all that? It is something I I worry about sometimes. And <laughs> um and so I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is this is terrible. And then it says like this would be you know this podcast would be an asset to a certain type of filmmaking artist right. that we do not necessarily cater to specifically. Right. How did I say that? Yes, that's perfect. Okay. Uh, it said, this would be a perfect asset to blank if not for the host. And, I was, and so at first I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, they got me pegged. Uh-huh. And then I thought, well, wait a second. That's, hang on. Our show isn't for blanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for them. We're not catering to the blanks. Right. We don't, uh, <laughs> and we, you know, we don't have... Battleship pretension does not kowtow to the blanks. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> but uh, and so I re- so I started to see inconsistencies, and I thought, 
well, he did get my name wrong. Maybe it's something else. So I looked up the name podcasting blank mm-hmm. and uh by the way if you if you google blank <laughs> uh i don't care what you're looking for you're not going to get what you want but um anyway so uh so that's when i came to realize that this person had left a comment that is not about our show they had gone uh-huh. to our show yeah thinking we were another show and uh and left this comment and so i said hey itunes uh don't do th- right. uh please take this off because this does make us look really bad and then we all had a laugh and it ended on a freeze frame Roll credits. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then the Happy Days theme played. Now, so uh, so that was just a fun little thing. And uh, and uh, iTunes is not taking that comment down, by the way. So people can go <laughs> and research that if they want. Uh, now, yeah, it may be Happy Days for you. Well done, David. It's not been happy for me for quite some time, and I I feel bad. Okay. Okay. Here's the deal. Okay. Last July. Okay. At Comic Con. Uh, ran into my friend Patrick, really uh, g- uh, good guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was like, "Oh, I saw, you know, I was like, what, what, what have you seen? What, you know, what panels did you see today?" He's like, "Oh, I saw this panel, uh, this this movie called Kick Ass." And yeah. I was like, "Oh, what's that?" And he described it to me, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds cool," you yeah. know. And then I feel like I have heard maybe it's my fault for listening to Movie Geek podcasts and 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 stuff yeah. like that, but I have heard about Kick Ass every fucking day since then. And David, would you go so far as to call it an onslaught? It's been an onslaught okay. of me hearing about this movie that I initially thought sounded kind of cool, but I, at yeah. this point, I just I don't even care if it's good. I just wanted to come out and be over with. Now and you, I don't think it's going to be. I, I don't think it's going to be bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people I know who have seen it mm-hmm. uh, have liked it, and you know, these people have these are intelligent people with, uh, yeah. with good opinions. That's fine. I, I'm sure the movie will be will be good. Mm-hmm. Uh. I don't think it's going to be life-changing. Revelatory? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, and I, I just, I don't know. I guess there's a snobbish part of me that wishes people were, like, uh, more, had this excitement for, like, a new... Uh, Michael Haneke? Sure. Or, you know, or, like... Like Greenberg, like why wasn't there like a year of lead up? Like Greenberg's coming out in March, well, March two thousand ten. I think we know why. Now I didn't go to I didn't go to the Greenberg panel at uh, Comic Con, <laughs> but uh, apparently you know was not well attended. I've heard. <laughs> um, no, but I do. I, I guess that's. I guess I'm. Tur- there's been a. I'm getting. I'm turning into an old crank in a lot of ways. I, yeah, you know, and I I still listen to to a, a, a lot of podcasts that that cater to uh, both my tastes and not that not that geeky movies aren't my taste. Right, right. You know, I like the ones that are good. Yeah, you know, uh, Spider Man Two was awesome. It sure was. Yeah, The Dark Knight was awesome. Yeah, X Men Two I X-Men think was 2 awesome. Was so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, I'm I'm all for the, these these geeky yeah. superhero movies when when they're good, but I guess I'm just an old curmudgeon cuz now at this point when I see and by the way, I know very little actually about Kick-Ass, mm-hmm. just that everyone says it's going to be great and everyone's really excited for it. I have not watched a single trailer for it, but that's not yeah. that's not new. I don't watch trailers. Really. Right, I right. I try actually try to avoid them. Yeah. Um uh, uh so I haven't seen a trailer. All I know is the posters, and at this point, every time I see a poster, I'm just like, "Oh, fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that just... might be a little extreme, <laughs> um, but uh, because uh, you know, uh, on on his podcast, uh, comedy film nerds Graham Elwood, 
I forget if it was Graham or Chris uh, who who said that they really that they did see it and they loved it and that it's completely not at all the way it's marketed mm-hmm. and that it's actually very it's very dark and actually kind of touching and there's a lot going on there but that's neither here nor there um, and then there's a guy on the forum who saw it and said it was really wonderful so that's fine but uh, but I have you know it, it's hard to avoid the marketing for the film and and so it's I think I think we, I might have mentioned this once on the show that I have a, a friend, uh, you know, an old friend that I that I know in in Denver, and uh, and his his attitude towards film is is different than mine. And there are movies that he will see based entirely. This is this is the way he phrases it, entirely on hype and buzz. He sa- he just doesn't want to be left out. He doesn't want to. He just wants to see everything that this, people see. This is going to send me on a tangent. I, I'm sure it will. We, we've been through this before. I, I'm sure we have. This is if if you okay, if hang you on, give into that, hey, David. Calm down. They're winning. I know. That's the point. It doesn't matter right. if everyone hated uh, Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Right. Which they did. But all you, I'm pointing at you. You're pointing geeks. at your, your leg, David. Yeah, but I'm pointing in the sort of past the microphone, okay. but I didn't want to point at you. I'm talking about the, the listeners. Yeah. Those of you, you geeks, I don't care how much you hated Clash of the Titans. You saw it. They have your money now. Oh, Now, David, come so on. Mad. Maybe it's not our listeners. I'm, what I'm saying is um, a lot of people seem to be responding to just the, the way, just the, the fact of kick-ass some people it's based on graphic novel some people love the graphic novel and thus know what to expect they're excited with the way the film is going to be interpreted and that i'm i'm more okay with that but there are some people for whom they just seem to only be responding to the hype and Mm -hmm. so really at that point so when you respond that much to the hype it doesn't kick-ass could be wonderful i'm sure it's i'm sure it's very good but it doesn't have to be Mm mm-hmm when when something is hyped that much and you're responding to it in that way, and listeners, I'm not pointing at you. I'm just saying in general, whoever might be doing this, because I'm sure there are there are some people who just who, who just bought into the fact of like, well, it's look, it's everywhere. I can't avoid it. I guess I should just I have to go see it because I don't want to be the one who hasn't seen it. And uh, I don't know. And so uh, like, I I I grew leap years as a person once I decided that I was okay with being the person who hasn't seen it. Yeah, I, uh, although just in general, you know, I still fall prey to it. I mean, I, I was not interested in Avatar until it became a cultural phenomenon, you know? Um, and even then, I wasn't but that interested. I wasn't interested in Avatar until I started reading good reviews from critics that I like. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, not a lot of critics didn't like it. Right. Uh, but there are, and I, you know, I read a lot of critics. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I mean, I read a few critics and then I skim the rest. Right, right. <laughs> just to sort of get an idea. Um, but the, you know, there were critics that I trust yeah. that, um, it really, it's, it was really Scott Founders review okay. of Avatar that sent me to see it. Yeah. And then in rereading it afterwards, it's, uh, he, he, he and I were just on the exact same page about okay. why it's, why it's good and, and why the things that aren't good about it don't matter. Okay. But that's not the point. Yeah. I yeah. think with this talk of how I think you've, I've realized why maybe I have this anger at, at kick-ass a, because the hype has gone on so long mm-hmm. and B, I think it's just the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Okay. It, it just, any film that got, that's been this hyped for this long by people who I think should, uh, in my opinion, should know better. Okay. It's coming off a little condescending. That's a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
that that's what would have set me off. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I want to make it clear that um, you know, uh, pe- you know, pending. I haven't really started to read the reviews for Kick-Ass. I, I will. Yeah. Um, I'll probably see it and like it. Yeah, yeah. Based on what I hear. Yeah. But that it's it just makes me so angry. It reminds me of... Uh, I mentioned this before we started recording. It reminds me of your reaction to uh, to a film that came out years ago, a Neil Jordan film called The Good Thief, uh-huh. which stars Nick Nolte. I'm a big fan of it. I like the movie. <laughs> um, I own it. But... Uh, for uh, for like a solid eight months to a solid year, it, every every film that we went to, mainstream, independent, foreign, it didn't matter. Somehow, I don't know. It wasn't a lot of me. I think it was that you and I tended to go see movies at the Landmark, and that's it. Might be it. Might be that, but yeah. yeah but it's. Uh, but I guess just the landmark, but also just various other types of theaters that are similar. Mm-hmm. But uh, we just could not escape every tra- every film we saw. There was a trailer for The Good Thief, and by the end of it, I remember you just said, like, I can't wait for The Good Thief to be uh, to be released. If for no other reason, than I can stop seeing trailers for The Good Thief. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so, David, I think it's actually quite quite fortuitous that, uh, that I said my iTunes story, and then you said um, your story, because now listeners know how sensitive I am, and I want to remind everybody, we do have separate email addresses, and so if you have a problem with what David said... <laughs> Which, by the way, oh, yeah, email me, please. It's just email David at, um, at battleshipretention.com. You don't have to, to say include this me. For weeks now, if, okay. I, if you have written me in the past, like, couple months, maybe, yeah. and I haven't gotten back to you, uh, it's my fault, and I, I will. Um, I've been having some password issues. Yeah, yeah, there's some... We have, but yeah. Tyler hasn't really kept me informed. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm joking. Why but, are you um, getting on me? This no, this yeah, I, I, did, I didn't take action. I've sort of let it. So I, I'm going to at some point in the near future go through my backlog of emails and get back to everybody. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. it's it's been so long. Yeah. So like probably three months from now, you'll get into it and you'll finally be like, man, why were people so mad at me in early April? <laughs> right. So. Um, all right, so that was uh, well. That's interesting, David. It's it's not often I see you so passionate. I know, and it's uh, again, it's the now I'm angry at myself for we talked about two weeks ago. Like mm-hmm. I get passionate about stupid stuff and like injustice in the world. It <laughs> you know true. it bothers me intellectually, but I don't get as worked up about it about as I do about this, and that makes me feel like I'm well. A it affects shallow you, you person. Know, and uh, and uh, uh, let me try and spin this. Um, you know, it, the, because this is all about like marketing and stuff. I guess I guess studios aren't going to market uh, world issues, but uh, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a uh, it can be a distraction and just it's absolutely saturating everything mm-hmm. with a product. In this case, Kick Ass uh, could could serve to distract somebody from something else, mm-hmm. a, as opposed to Kick Ass merely being a movie. And don't get me wrong, I love movies; they've changed my life, but. It is just a movie, and there are other things going on. Let me clear my conscience by just using my bully pulpit for a second. Oh, oh all okay. right. Um, if you're in favor of the new health care, um, you should speak out and make sure that people know you're in favor of it, uh, because a lot of people are, are buying the lie from the anti-health care propaganda machine oh that it's gosh. unpopular. Oh, my gosh. It's actually very popular. Yeah, yeah. Or not, maybe not very popular, but it's, it's more popular than not. But yeah. people are being led to believe that it's unpopular because of this propaganda machine so just get get on your your blogs your twitter or whatever make sure that people know that you're happy with the healthcare. if you are if you're yeah. not fine david at uh, battleship com. everybody no need to email me 
No, I just said if you're not, it's fine. I'm just oh, saying okay. if you are, there's something no, that needs to be done about it. You know. Uh, also, we need to protest this new Supreme Court uh, ruling against the FCC. Um, Man, I haven't heard about this at all. All right, just uh, everybody. I imagine most of our listeners, because they're internet savvy people, know about the whole net neutrality movement. But if you don't look up net neutrality, oh, that's right, we talked about this a yeah, long time ago. It's, yeah, uh, it's a good thing, and this this new ruling against the FCC is a very very bad thing. Well, you can uh, uh, you can fill me in, David, and I'm I can't wait to just try and filter your lefty <laughs> uh, opinions. Oh, and also let's petition. Uh, San Diego Comic Con to stay in San Diego. There, there we go. The San Diego Convention Center has agreed, if they will get the contract, yeah, to build a seven hundred and fifty-three million dollar extension to the convention center. You know, and inclu- and new hotels. Yeah. You know, now that is money that probably could uh, wipe out one major world issue. <laughs> I can't figure out what it is, but there's probably one that needs that exact amount. Maybe they got a little bit left over just in case. Yeah, but what you know. What's the point if we're not enjoying ourselves? Oh, <laughs> uh, you got me there, David. Yeah. Oh my. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Into it. Yeah. Into it. What I said. Fuck's that supposed to mean? What it means? Yeah. What it means? It means I want to get into the show. The show. Yeah, the fucking show. Well, you know what the old mystic said. The old mystic. Yeah. He said, "If things need to be gotten into, we'd sure as shit, sure as shit, better get into them." <laughs> Fucking a. Fucking a. <laughs> you same. stumbled over your yeah, uh, yeah. Your line there. Okay, so but, uh, yeah, we, that was. Yeah, uh, I want to thank David Mamet for writing our little <laughs> intro there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I and it, it's I I screwed it up in rehearsal at the exact same moment. You're the one who wrote "Sure as shit." I know. <laughs> You'd think I'd. Uh, ah, frustrating. So uh, yeah, so that uh, that that was a little nod, everybody, to uh, who we're profiling today. Um, <coughs> which, which you is, already know because it's in the show description. It's in the show description, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. So I uh, did. I enjoyed it as well. I've been watching David Mamet all day, and uh, I felt like I could try and replicate his uh, rhythms. Yeah, I think so, you did a good job. Thank you. So um, that, all right. that felt like it was right out of the Winslow Boy. <laughs> uh, now we're talking. Okay. All right. So uh, David Mamet. Yeah, well, let's just for if anyone's a, a newer listener, uh, this is episode 160. Every 10 episodes, we yeah. uh, profile a, a filmmaker or actor or yeah. just someone uh, in, with a with a lux- luxurious, yeah. illustrious cl- career. Yeah. Uh, it probably there's a lot of luxury involved. Oh, I don't doubt that. Career. Yeah, yeah. Now, we didn't do it episode 150 because as it was episode 150, we felt mm-hmm. that was kind of a, a landmark. And so, yeah. uh, we, so had some... said we decided to do uh, an episode that would uh, annoy half of our listeners. <laughs> and let's say half of our hosts. Um, <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, for those that don't know, David Mamet, um, he is a, uh, he's a, first and foremost, he, he was a playwright. He's still yeah. around. I didn't mean to say it in the past tense. He used to be a playwright, and I guess he still writes the occasional play, but that's what he was known for. And uh, and he won a couple of Pulitzer Prizes, which doesn't happen that often. Uh, for, for drama? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so he, he won for a, a play called American Buffalo, mm-hmm. and then a few years later he won for a play called Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Now, uh, a lot of people were just absolutely blown away by him as a playwright. And David, I don't know if you've ever actually like read any of his plays. I have. Okay. I've never seen any of his plays, though. Nor have I, actually. Really? I've only seen them when they've been adapted. Right, uh, sure. But... Uh, but it's it's he's really I mean a lot of people say that he was kind of revolutionary in his approach specifically to dialogue, um, and uh, and you know when you it's it 
basically he uh, the kind of the standard thing to say is he writes how people talk um specifically blue collar people i would say mm-hmm. like if you look if you watch american buffalo um or read american buffalo yeah well let's talk about that real quick okay he writes how people talk yeah but when he's directing he doesn't direct how people talk right, and well, he doesn't direct them to speak that way yeah. we'll get there there's in a big moment. difference between um the way his dialogue reads in in American Buffalo and the way his dialogue or not reads sounds rather yeah in American Buffalo the movie yeah and the way it sounds in Spartan oh absolutely yeah and, because and we'll, in one of those he's directing and we'll we'll get into that because it really is man it's 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 night and day mm-hmm. it's really it's really amazing um but uh, for good or ill by the way we'll we'll get to that in a second as well um but he's his you know when it's when it's done when it's directed as David said kind of by somebody else um. Then it just sounds like you're listening to characters say very naturalistic dialogue, mm-hmm. um, and you really do have to. Because I loved G- Glengarry Glen Ross, uh, the film when I saw it, and I didn't really know much about David Mamet. And then I saw American Buffalo, and then I actually bought the play American Buffalo, and I leafed through it. And man, it's you really, you really grow to respect the writing when you actually when you actually read it, mm-hmm. uh, which I know seems kind of counter counterintuitive when you're talking about drama mm-hmm. but like there's an there's a line in uh in glengarry Glen ross the play uh the line i don't remember who says it i seem to i think it's ricky roma um the line is th dash the line is literally i you the mic may not pick it up th- uh-huh. that's it a character is about to say the or that or they or there any number of things uh and they get interrupted now, most people wouldn't put that line in because <laughs> who could ever possibly notice? But it is there uh-huh. because that's how conversations work. Right. And it, it it's really, I mean, uh, you know, I, David, I used to be a writer. And, um, and I, I'm so fascinated by uh, the way people talk that dialogue is, it was just this serpentine mystery to me that I was just always so fascinated by. And... Uh, and I owe a lot of that fascination to David Mamet, mm-hmm. who, again, started as a playwright and then started, you know, and then he was a screenwriter. Uh, and now, and he still is a screenwriter. He still will write things that other people direct. But uh, at this point, I'd say he's very much a writer-director. Yeah, well, I mean, he has been a, his last few films have been directed by him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as, like, I, I don't have his whole filmography in front of me. I only have what I've seen. And on this list, uh, the last thing that he wrote that someone else directed was Hannibal. That's what I have too. Yeah. Which was back in two, what two thousand two thousand one. I think two thousand. Yeah, I, want to say, I could be wrong. So, um, but so yeah, I mean, yeah. Hannibal may be an awful movie, but it's. Uh, let's talk. About, we, we we talked about the difference in when he directs and when other people direct. Yeah. Uh, the the list of other people who have directed his yeah. screenplays is phenomenal. So yeah. let's just start. Uh, let's just go chronologically okay. and start with uh, what might be one of his, it may be his best screenplay mm. to date because this one was not a play. Uh, right. This was, uh, I think, um, I, f- I think it was based on a book. Okay. But, uh, but yes, it was definitely not a play. Okay. And it's uh, directed by Sidney Lumet. Yeah. And it's called The Verdict from the 1982, verdict. which we talked about this when we did the Sidney Lumet episode. Yeah. What was that 20 weeks ago? 30? Oh my, yes, roughly around there. I don't quite recall. <laughs> but I can't remember which, if it was one forty or one thirty. I think it was one thirty. Okay, so thirty weeks ago. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, yeah, the verdict. Uh, we we talked about it a little bit, but we didn't really talk about it from the writing standpoint. Um, it's really, 
because Mamet will do, and this was 82, so Mamet hadn't really started kind of dipping into his bag of tricks just yet, uh, which we will mm. talk about uh, in a few in a few films. Um, but uh, he really was just committed to recreating the way people talk. Now, in this case, it wasn't necessarily a blue-collar kind of thing uh, because he was dealing with lawyers and doctors, you know, people who are educated. Uh, but it was still, it is still urban, uh, and he he manages to mimic it, and each character has their own voice. Uh, Paul Newman sounds very different than uh, James Mason, as one would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jack Warden is in it, and he sounds very different than... Charlotte Rampling, um, and so he really uh, he manages, and yet there is a, a definite through line. There is a consistency of dialogue. You believe that all these characters, I mean, they're all lawyers. They've all studied law. You believe that they all exist in the same world, but they all they are all very distinct, and the lines are memorable without being being like "Look at me," uh, which is something that he would kind of get into a little later. But uh, I, I love the verdict. I was. In preparation for this, I was going to the IMDb and like looking for in, in their like memorable quotes uh-huh. to see if there's anything that like really jumped out at me. Uh, and with the verdict, I didn't write anything down, not to imply that there was nothing that jumped out at me, but there was nothing. There's nothing that's meant to jump out at you. It's just good lines. There's a lot of there's a lot of what some could say is speechifying in the film, and it never feels that way. Yeah, it's 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 possibly the least showy of his screenplays. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder how much I do wonder how much of that is Sidney Lumet, whether it be the fact that Mamet knew he was writing for Sidney Lumet mm-hmm. or maybe Sidney Lumet cut a lot out. Although if you listen to the commentary, of the verdict, it sounds like he didn't. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, a yeah, he hadn't gotten into his uh, pattern. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Sidney Lumet's not going to um, direct something that's hyper stylized for the most part right. very few of his films i mean there are some elements of like before the devil knows you're dead yeah that are that are very stylistic but network is kind of stylistic at times but mm-hmm. and that but again that that fits the screenplay yeah very much so. and so yeah i think he's uh he he wrote a very uh down-to-earth screenplay for the verdict yeah uh next thing on my list okay now the uh next on my list did you see oh what's yours untouchables okay next on my list is about last night oh right which right. You know, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't write down who, who directed it, but uh, now that's based on a, uh, a play... Which I've read, called Sexual Perversity in Chicago. Right. And I've not read the play, but, you know, there is kind of the... the a lot of people would describe his dialogue as rapid fire, especially mm-hmm. when it's between men who are friends, mm-hmm. or at least, or work together. Just They have a previous relationship one way or another. And there's a lot of rapid fire dialogue in Sexual Perversity in Chicago, and uh, and this this one you really come around to you know in the verdict you got Paul Newman, Jack Warden, James Mason you got a, a lot of really great actors. Uh, and about last night you have actors that are good, but you need great actors to really sell that mm-hmm. dialogue. What you get, you get Rob Lowe, James Belushi. Um, back before he just decided to take it casual and go by Jim, but. Yeah. Uh, and there, oh, yeah, the I, I really liked Jim Belushi in The Ghost Rider. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like oh. the movie overall. Oh, okay. The uh, Polanski. Yeah. Yes, not Ghost Rider. Yeah, The Ghost Writer. Writer. There we go. The yeah. Ghost Writer. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sounds a little strange. I don't like that. I, I, sound like, I feel like a computer program. Right? <laughs> a ghost writer. Or, or Hugo Weaving. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the, scenes, the scenes specifically between Rob Lowe and uh, James Belushi, man, you come to realize that somebody like Mamet, if not done well, man, it just does not work. It sounds like, and we'll get into this probably uh, when we get into like House of Games and Homicide, it sounds like the characters are then speaking in code mm-hmm. uh, to each other. Like somebody said, hey, can we make uh, Morse code like into like a way people talk? <laughs> um, just kind of this rapid fire, but in a, in a way that just clearly the actors don't seem to really understand. And I think Rob Lowe has, has grown as an actor. Uh, I think he was very good on the West Wing, and that's also a very kind of fast type of I was of actually going to use that as... But it would be off track to talk about Rob Lowe. But yeah, it's because Aaron Sorkin's very much the same way. If mm-hmm. if you don't have the right actor, it sounds yeah just really obvious. And Rob Lowe must have grown in the in the yeah in the interim because he he does the the Aaron Sorkin dialogue very well. Yeah, and I mean there was you know there's a ten year difference, and you can grow a yeah. lot as, as an actor. But also just I think Rob Lowe just wasn't isn't comfortable with the dialogue, and I think he winds up getting kind of steamrolled. By James Belushi, who the nature of his character, but also just he is an actor. Just he was older, had a lot more confidence, and it was just kind of a bigger kind of thing. So that Rob Lowe just in scenes between them, he just kind of goes away. Um, but the dialogue, it, it just seems so like, oh, this is horribly written. But it's not. Like his his dialogue is so married to the acting style mm-hmm. that you just need somebody who gets it. And uh, and I don't think uh, I again I don't recall who directed about last night, but they didn't seem to really get it. And maybe there was studio pressure to cast you know Rob Lowe like mm-hmm. a good looking young guy. I don't know, but uh, but about last night wound up being more frustrating than anything else, especially if you're a fan of the play. Well, let's move on to the Untouchables. Okay, because uh, this is uh, frankly also a movie that I don't like very much. Yeah, although I, I loved it when I was young. Yeah, um, didn't we all? Yeah, but um. And and I'm usually, for the most part, like in on Brian De Palma's side, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of a lot of people don't like him, yeah, at all. Um, I thought Femme Fatale was awesome, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, but again, but Ryan Brian De Palma is uh, he's never really made his name as a director of dialogue heavy stuff, yeah. Like it's a he's. He's very much an aesthetic and yeah. visceral director. Yeah, and those those sequences work, you know, in in the Untouchables, the shootouts, and the, oh yeah, uh, obviously the Odessa Steps or whatever. Yeah, uh, the Odessa Steps homage. Yeah, um, in in the Untouchables, uh, all work. But um, I often wonder. I mean, I also wonder if um, David Mamet kind of knew what the tone of the movie was going to be, and because like yeah. You know the line at the end when you know Kevin Kevin Costner throws uh, uh, Billy, Billy Drago is the name of the actor and Frank Nitti is the Frank name Nitti, of the Frank Nitti, yes, yeah. um, played by Stanley Tucci in Ro- Road to Perdition. That's right. Um, but he throws Frank Nitti off the roof and he lands on a car, and then he comes back downstairs and someone says, "Where's Nitti? He's in the car." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a dumb. It's, a, it's my favorite line in the movie, but it's also a really dumb line. Uh, Is that actually your favorite line in the movie? There are other better lines. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. And I, I think that uh, I think if you if you really watch it, I think 
I think Mamet felt kind of, I think he did know the kind of film it was going to be, or rather the kind of film it was expected to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that frustrated him. Because you can clearly see, anytime he's writing for Capone, or anytime he's, I don't remember the name of the character, uh, Jimmy is the first name, uh, Sean Connery's character. Mm-hmm. Anytime he's writing for them, you can just see the relish. He loves writing for them. Yeah. Because these are guys who, it's all about talking with them. Uh-huh. You know, they get, you know, Capone doesn't just kill someone, he makes a big speech beforehand. And so there's that. And so whenever there has to be like an action sequence, because the dialogue before, uh, right when Elliot Ness is about to throw Frank Nitty off the roof, you know, he, Frank Nitty's like, you know, he died like a stuck Irish pig. I don't know why he's all Southern Belle. That might just be my impression, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, he died like a stuck Irish pig. Uh, and he, you know, and he screamed and, uh, you know, and, uh, and then Elliot Ness throws him. He goes, does it sound anything like that? Yeah. And it's just like, ah, really? And then he follows I it up. I think I enjoy this movie more than I realize. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, but I don't think for the right reasons, yeah. David. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, I always, think. I mean, I, go ahead. I'm not exactly like a Capone historian. Yeah. But from what I know, the Stanley Tucci's portrayal of Frank Nitti was probably a little closer to reality than he wasn't just like head thug. He was somewhere in the middle. He wasn't as smart as depicted in. Because uh, I actually was fascinated by. I was often fascinated by people who were second in command suddenly thrust into first position. Uh-huh. But. Uh, Frank Nitti was not as smart as depicted in Road to Perdition, nor was he as just... Brutish? Brutish. Yeah, there we go. As uh, as the Untouchables. He was somewhere in the middle, and uh, when he died, it's because he, he got fed up and killed himself. <laughs> and so, not quite <laughs> Yeah, he did not get thrown off the, the courthouse uh, roof. Was it the courthouse? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. or, or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and so I think... Because I think, uh, there's three kinds of mammoths here, I think, that we'll wind up talking about. In this about. one movie? No, I think there's only one in this in this movie. Uh, actually, there might be two fighting each other, like uh, Superman and Clark Kent. Um, there's there's Mamet the playwright, who often, when directed by when his stuff is directed by other directors, can just be the. This sounds a little uh, proletariat, but uh, the voice of the people, the voice mm-hmm. of people. He can replicate it better than anybody else. Uh, and he doesn't call attention to his lines. Then there's Mamet, the writer-director, who writes things in a stylized way that does that is heightened. And there's n- and by the way, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Then there's Hollywood Mamet. I'm surprised I- to hear you say that. We'll get there. You've, but uh, I think you because you used to hate Aaron Sorkin for just that reason. And I used to always make that same argument to you. Just because it's heightened doesn't mean it's bad. It's the way it is heightened. I've come to determine. And if you heighten something to make everyone see how smart you are. Uh, then I don't care. Do you for still it. think that's what Aaron Sorkin does? Uh, at times, yes. Okay. And as we've mentioned, uh, once Sorkin left West Wing, that's when I really found I got way more into into it. <laughs> which those are the seasons you have not seen. I've never, yeah, haven't seen but, a single frame. But anyway, so uh, but then there's Hollywood Mammoth, who I think you'll will find from time to time where he's he's directing something that is not necessarily talky. Uh, and you mean he, writing something? Or? Uh, he'll, uh, he'll, I'm sorry, yeah. He'll be writing something that is not necessarily talky uh, and is going to be big and kind of grandiose. And then you get... That's where you get... I'll, I'll jump around a little bit. That's where you get The Untouchables and uh, Hannibal and The Edge. And that's where you'll... And you'll still find moments of his... Of his, I would venture to say, brilliance in there, mm-hmm. like when Capone talks. And in The Edge, there's a lot of great stuff yeah. in there as well. In Hannibal, though, I mean, he was one of many people that wrote that. But uh, but you almost feel like uh, 
again, he's not to imply that it's bad, but I think he has the ability to be like, all right, I know it's expected of me and it's not my usual thing. I will now turn this off, turn in the occasional clever line, and uh, that now I can finance my next film. Yeah. So. Okay, so let's let's move on because we're taking too long. Oh my yes. <laughs> um, now next up on mine, yeah, is House of Games. That's next on mine, yes. Which was the first film he directed? Yeah. Um, well, talk about it. Well, let's uh, now. Or do you want me to talk about it? Uh, let's have you talk about it because you don't care for it, right? Uh, no, I don't think it's um. It it. How should I put this? It's not. Uh, either real enough or heightened enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, you know, if I, if I, I guess I want the movie to either be, uh, I gotta think of a better, uh, David Mamet example. Um, e- either be like, uh, I don't know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross or whatever, yeah. or be Ocean's Eleven. If it's going to be written. Yeah, yeah. By, and, and I just don't know exactly where House of Games falls and I, I think it's i mean it's his directorial debut that's yeah maybe he was uh feeling his way around it too i don't the um like i'm never invested enough in the the cons mm-hmm. you know uh because the cons themselves aren't uh well i mean the i guess the big one is super intricate yeah but the, you don't the really, long con but day. you don't really get to relish that one right and then the smaller ones are often more about character but not enough like i want it to be one i I, yeah i want to either think well that's an awesome con Mm. or well this is a really meaty scene yeah and i feel like it it has it's i shouldn't say i don't i should i I, it's not that i hate this movie you know it's it's i think it's a very promising directorial debut yeah uh but that's about all it, it is for me yeah it's it's interesting because this is one where, because I was watching it earlier today, I have the, the Criterion version, so I was watching it, and I was also watching some of the special features. Uh, and it is fascinating because this script is very good. Mm. It's It's got everything that we want it to have. It You know, it is, it is heightened uh, and stylized, but uh, I think if directed by somebody else, I think all the things that you're talking about, it would all be there. Mm-hmm. But I think Mammoth, the director, because he's he's written a lot about writing and directing and being in Hollywood. He's written a lot about it. You can he's he's an interesting resource for writers, uh, and not just the stuff that he's written, but the stuff that he's written about the stuff he's written. Um, and it is interesting to see what his because I think what it comes down to is it's it's all about his direction of actors. You know, this is why this is kind of why I brought it up. Uh, with about last night is he has he has said that when it comes to stuff that he's written actors they don't need to try very hard just let the lines do the acting for them i wrote for you you know i wrote the you know i wrote the pauses in there specifically for a reason don't add pauses don't take pauses out everything's in there just say the lines and you'll get and it'll be fine like that seemed to be his that that seems to be his theory of directing actors, and it's and it's the theory of somebody who started as a writer. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird, but like it, I don't think it it gives enough credit to an actor's director, 
and it do- I don't think it also get I don't think it gives enough credit to the actors mm-hmm. that like their instincts are worth nothing. Um, and so you will find a lot of and it's all and also you'll find uh, in a lot of the films that he directs a lot of the same actors showing up. And uh, and I think it's because these this is the stable of actors that he worked with on stage, but also that he that subscribe to his theory and will just do what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's interesting. Who, who are some of these actors? You got a, you got a Joe Montana, like a Joe Montana. You got a like a William H Macy. He's not in House of Games. Ricky Jay is mm-hmm. one. Uh, and now I'm out. I'm out of names. But honestly, if you watch eight of his movies in a row, you'll see them all uh-huh. uh, in probably every single one. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, hey, he's a cop. Oh, wait, now he's a lawyer. Oh, wait, now he's a doctor. It just, it's, he's kind of this, has this, uh, it is a very stage mentality, like a repertory of actors. Um, but it also is a problem because the actors are only ever going to be so good. And I think they just, they say his lines. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's fine. But you're, it's only ever going to be, it's only ever going to be so impactful. And so I feel like House of Games, it's a lot of fun to listen to, and Joe Montana does better than most, I'd say. Yeah, but, But also, this, it kicks off the unfortunate trend of Mamet casting his wives. Um, the, in, in we're his talking films. here about Lindsay... Lindsay Krause. Right. And, uh, Who Buffy fans know from season four. Indeed. And she was... And oddly enough, she you was... Don't know. You've, you've mentioned no. You've mentioned okay. Yeah, you've mentioned that she's in there, and also I just wanted to just <laughs> glaze right over it. Um, but she also was oddly enough because she's very stilted and not fun to listen to in House of Games. I've seen her in other things. I saw her in The Verdict. Yeah, right. Right. When she has to be very emotional, and she's very impactful. But somehow, when he when he gets his hands on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she just turns very cold and very calculating and she's our hero. No, thank you. And so it's a film that's, I think, I think certain other directorial things and I'm spending so much time on this film because yeah. you'll see it. We're yeah. going to repeat this a lot. I want to go on a tangent though and tell go a story ahead. All about, right. about him casting his wives. Okay. Um, I, when I was still trying to do the whole PA thing, yeah. I, um, got an interview to be a PA on a movie called Red Belt. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and here's the deal. I got horribly lost on my way to the interview. Okay. I was late. Okay. And then I forgot the name of the person I was supposed to meet. Okay. Uh, I walked in in a bad mood. I was like, I'm here for an interview. And the woman was like, with who? I was like, um, I don't know. Some woman. Oh. And then, <laughs> no, I didn't say like some broad. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. like, not a man. It was, I know, that's all I can literally, all I can tell you about this person because I just spoken to her on the phone is it's a woman. I can't remember her name at all. And then a woman next to me goes, David? And it was her. So I already knew I wasn't going to get the job. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I sat down and had the interview, and um, she was like, do you know much about this movie? I was like, no, I just uh, heard the name. And she was like, oh, it's a David Mamet movie. It's got uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor and Tim Allen. And to this day, I wish I had said what popped in my head. Yeah. um, Because I wasn't going to get the job anyway. I wish I had said... And what role will Rebecca Pigeon be playing? <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca Pigeon is uh, is Mamet's current wife. Current still, right? Uh, as far as I know. Okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, we'll get to her in a minute. Yeah. Um, but uh, in a uh, while. In a, in a while. Yeah. So yeah. Well, let's move on from House of Games. Absolutely. To 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 Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh, Homicide actually is oh, the next right. one that's for a me. Big. That's the. That's probably the. I haven't seen about last night, but the big one of his that I haven't seen is Homicide. Yeah, it's uh, and I was watching that today. I was watching my old v- video update VHS copy of it, uh-huh. and 
and you know, it's it's man, it's all the same stuff. David, we've seen stuff with Joe Mantegna. We've seen stuff with uh, William H. Macy. We know how great they can be. And there are moments in the film that are really quite wonderful. This but is th- also a director. This is, this is him directing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this one, unlike House of Games, which, is, which does have a certain, because it's a, a, a movie about con artists, it, does, it is a little bit more stylized and it takes place in a different kind of world than the one we live in. Homicide, it's about cops. Uh-huh. You know? Uh, cops that live in our reality. And... Uh, and so, but and it's also about cops. These two guys, uh, Montaigne and uh, and Macy, are partners. And there are scenes with them in the car where it's just like, man, it's just it's this rat a tat tat dialogue. But it doesn't feel natural. It feels stylistic. Now there are moments where it's Montaigne by himself, giving a monologue of some sort. And he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's really wonderful. But it's really when the characters are like interacting and we're supposed to be like, oh, they're familiar with each other. Because, see, they're saying these lines. And it's, it winds up being where does so... Where take place? When, I'm sorry, where? 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 I um, lose my voice. I've, you know what? I don't recall. It takes okay. place in the city. Right. Uh, I think probably New York. but Not uh, Chicago. Not, not Chicago. It might take place in Chicago. I don't recall. John um, Montaigne is just so very Chicago. Isn't he, though? Like, he very I literally look so. at him and I'm like... I could go for a Polish Polish sandwich, right? A Polish yeah. sausage, right now. <laughs> I would, I you know, I really wish that I had seen the original uh, stage play of Glengarry Glen Ross because mm-hmm. him as ri- as Ricky Roma, I can't yeah. imagine how awesome that would be. But uh, but Homicide, it's. I feel bad. I feel like I'm I'm crapping on it too much because there are moments of 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 intense power, and and Mamet is never bad. The writing's there, and, and you can always tell this is good writing, but as a director, he just, especially a director of actors, he just gets in his own way, and it, it always, you know, it always keeps me at arm's length from, from his films. And Homicide, which is a film that uh, Montaigne's character, he's, he's Jewish, and that plays a very large part, and Mamet himself is Jewish, and I know that he's very fascinated by Judaism, so the film is very personal, and it could have been very emotionally wrenching, and it's not. It's 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 very academic when it really shouldn't be. And it's just, Mammon as a director, just ugh, it, he just gets out in his own way, and it frustrates me so much because you see the potential, mm-hmm. and uh, man, it frustrated me. Well, um, you know who did well with the Mammon script? Who's that? Uh, one James Foley. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he directed uh, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is a film that I have always liked. Yeah. Um and I've gone like I've grown to like the visual style of it. Especially once yeah. it came out on D V D I was able to see it in, in right in scope, you yeah. know, because it was shot I, you know, when I was used to a four by three uh you know, pan and scan, whatever. Yeah. Um but it's still a very it's still not a virtuosic video or visual style. Yeah. It's, it still feels very contained and uh, you know a lot of people say that if a movie is taken from the stage to the screen you don't want it to feel like just a filmed play right. you know and what james foley does very well uh is he does keep it you know the camera's often static yeah in uh you know rooms that could Easily, easily be sets. You know, yeah. it's very, very rarely outside. Yeah. Um. You know, there's like a scene in a car. Mm-hmm. Uh. 
so it it does on the one hand it maintains the uh the feel of taking place on a stage yeah but it's still a movie <coughs> yeah if that, if that if that makes sense yeah uh foley's use of color is really uh mm-hmm. really fascinating and also just and his and his editing style is definitely what makes this feel cinematic and not stagey right and what's and what's interesting to bring this back around to Mamet because I do love Glengarry Glen Ross and Mamet adapted his own play. He added things to the play that I think he himself has said that he likes the the screenplay better than the stage play. Mm-hmm. And I would agree because for those that don't know, it's about a bunch of salesmen who uh, uh, are very desperate and they they involve you know commit a crime. Mm-hmm. And, and for uh, those who do know the movie and don't yeah. know the the. Like almost the centerpiece scene with yeah. Alec Baldwin was written specifically for the movie. Yeah, that character is not in the play at all. Yeah, and and Mammon understood that, you know, if these guys are all of a sudden going to commit this crime, they need something to spur them on, and it needs to be something, you know, something major. You know, uh, Williamson's you know sheepish Milhousean uh, behavior <laughs> is not going to spur anybody on to anything, uh-huh. um, except maybe contempt. Which happens, right. but uh, it needs to be something big, and so he writes this amazing monologue. Uh, it, it's not strictly a monologue. He, Alec Baldwin, the character is his name is Blake, though you never know why, because uh, you, you never know why he was even bothered, why Mamet even bothered to give him a name, because it never comes out. <laughs> because when asked his name, he responds, "Fuck you, that's my name." <laughs> All right, and it's stuff like that where he just. Mamet understood the need for this, and he he clearly just took so much joy in it. And I think he knew he was writing it for for Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And it's just that scene is one of the one of the best scenes I've ever seen uh, in in a film or or otherwise. But also, uh, there all th- there is a lot of back and forth. Now this is it's based on a play, and as far as the existing material, it's not that different. But a lot of the back and forth between these guys, they work together, they know each other. One would say maybe they're friends. They don't seem to like each other that much. <laughs> but, and this is, this is, I think, where James Foley, as a director, like really excels. He takes some of his cues specific, specifically uh, in his editing. He takes, them, he takes his cues from the script. There's a scene between Alan Arkin and um, Ed Harris Mm-hmm. Where they're just going back and forth. What'd he say? What'd he say? He'd, he'd buy him, you know, and just, it goes, is that what he said? What are we saying? What do you say? What'd he say? And just back and forth, back and forth. And it, and each one is a cut. And after a while, it just becomes very funny as it should. Right. It was meant to be funny. And the way to play it, the way to really make it obvious that, not obvious, but the way to really play up the humor is that we're cutting to each person as they say what they're saying. And it moves so fast that it's very funny, uh, but then it also calls attention to the fact when the when the quick editing stops, right? Because it stops on a big line, and that's and it's stuff like that. He just fully is smart enough to realize that yeah, this material won a Pulitzer Prize, and these are great actors. I'll take my cues from them while still having you know because the. The camera is, is static sometimes, but also, like, for example, there's a scene where Jack Lemmon is telling a story, and he's taking so much relish with it, and the camera is just, it starts close, and then it, it's the, like the slowest zoom out I've ever seen, mm. 
and it's just it allows him to have his moment. There is no cutting. It's all it's all there, and it's just uh, you know I, I feel like we've started talking about how great James Foley is, but he's great because he recognized the inherent power of the good of a great script. And yeah, he didn't do the Brian De Palma thing. <laughs> exactly. We could do an could we do an anti profile on on De Palma, which we talk about Untouchables and Scarface. I'd still like to do a and uh, Snake Eyes. Uh, oh, I would like yes. to do a Brian De Palma episode, and that would be a lot of fun. All right. I haven't seen enough of his like really great stuff. Oh okay. Uh, you should see um, Sisters. Sister. Oh okay. Yeah yeah. It's classic. Uh, okay, moving on. Yeah. To Hoffa. Hoffa. Yeah. I don't really have a lot to say about it because honestly, I saw it when I was in like 10th grade and I, don't, yeah. I haven't seen it since it's another highly stylized movie. Very much so. It, Cause it's, it's directed by Danny DeVito. Yeah. And, um, not the subtlest of directors. Yeah. He's made one really good film, Matilda. Okay. Right. Yep. And then he's made Hoffa uh, which is a mediocre film. Okay. And death to Smoochie, which is also in my opinion, a mediocre film. Okay. A lot of people hate death to Smoochie. Yeah. I don't hate it. Right. I think it's a mediocre film. Okay. <laughs> so you're playing it a compliment when it's... Uh, is it uh, more of a compliment? A relative compliment. Okay. Is it more of a compliment or less of a compliment when you say something is mediocre? Because mediocre is just... compliment, yeah. Yeah. Mediocre is just forgettable. Just, ugh. Yeah. It's it, not it, hot it, or cold. It's lukewarm. There, there, are, there are moments in Death to Smoochie that just crack me up. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of funny stuff in there. But, yeah, yeah it's... Plenty to hate. But uh-huh. it's tempered by maybe it, so maybe it just evens out. Maybe it's <laughs> mediocre isn't the right word. Yeah, it just these things sort of balance each other out. Yeah. But um, Hoffa was this his first film as a director? Devito? Yeah. Uh, I don't know actually. I feel like no. Okay. When did he I direct uh, War of the Roses? Oh, you're right. Yeah. No, okay. this wasn't his last his first film at all. Okay. What am I thinking? I'm I, an idiot. I, I I don't know. I had forgotten about that. It's just the first one I ever saw. Okay. Um, but uh, have you have you maybe seen it more recently than I have? Because I don't remember. I what I rem- what I take away from the film are the uh, sort of cutesy things that Devito does, and I don't remember a lot about the dialogue. Yeah, it's you know it it is weird when you you know when Mamet is when you see written by David Mamet, you immediately think like, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. And as much you know, I feel like I've been crapping him on him more than than I should have, like with Homicide and House of Games. I crap on him perhaps a bit more as a director than I do as a writer. Mm-hmm. As a writer, I can't. I, he's like one of my probably two favorite writers of all uh, of all time. Um, and uh, two favorite screenwriters. Screen. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Dramatic writers, dramatists, I guess. Joe Westerhaus is the other one. He's right up there. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> I don't recall who that is. Showgirls. Show. Ah, yes, yes. Sliver. Oh, so, oh. Didn't, I think Sliver. I never saw Sliver. Uh, who is your other one? Um, Petty Shavsky? Petty Shavsky might, might be up there. Um, I really like him. Um, we'll focus on this another time. I, uh, mm, let's say Petty Shavsky. Okay. With almost any writer I can think of, I, every time I think like, I really do like this guy, invariably I'll think of some other thing of his that I'm like, ugh, no, not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I do like Petty Shavsky a lot. Um, but anyway, uh. My two favorite are Joss Whedon and Tom Shadyak. Let's let's not call attention to that. That's for you guys, everybody. You you can figure that one out. Um, but yeah, it's Mamet as a writer. When I see his name, I get really excited. Uh, and then right. 
but every once in a while, I don't know what it is, um, it doesn't really happen, and I don't necessarily think I can blame him. With Hoffa, it's a film that just, uh, in spite of DeVito being something of an inspired director, he certainly doesn't just sit there and do nothing. Mm-hmm. In spite of him being, uh, you know, uh, a uh, an interesting director, and in spite of Mamet being a great writer, in spite of uh, the film starring Jack Nicholson in the lead role, the film is surprisingly forgettable. There's not there's not a lot of incredibly realistic dialogue. There's not a lot of incredibly stylized dialogue. It's just kind of there, and uh, and it does happen from time to time with with Mamet, and uh, and I feel like maybe he. Uh, I don't know. I, I I've I've not read uh, if he's like if he's written anything about the experience. I haven't read it. Um, he just didn't seem his heart didn't really seem to be in it. Um, and uh, it just that that film in general just feels like a, a lot of uh, not necessarily wasted potential because it has its moments, but just uh, given the material and everybody involved, it should have been way better and a lot more memorable. So we can move on. Okay. Um the next film on my list is another directorial effort yeah. uh, called Oleana. Yeah. Next for you. Yeah. And that's, man, we are, I feel like we're being mean. Uh, As a director, we will start to turn a corner on him in a few movies, by the way. Yeah, but, because um, uh, Oleana is a really interesting uh, script, or play, it was a play first. Yeah, yeah. And I've read the play, It's it's. I had read the play before I ever saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, this is just one where if you do if you do the mammoth directorial thing yeah. and just play everything exactly as it's written, yeah, uh, it's just really unpleasant, and, <laughs> and not necessarily in a good way. You yeah. know, uh, there are there are ideas here, yeah, that you can read into in the in the screenplay and in the in the in the, the stage play. That would be really interesting, but mm. the way that he directs directs them, I don't know if it's intentional, but when I read the play, I saw it as a battle between two people, yeah with uh with with opposing but equally valid ideas mm-hmm. the way he directs it, William H. Macy is in the right, oh yes, it's, yes. you know, and it comes off pretty misogynistic. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of that has to do with the the uh the actress. I mean, she was, you know, God bless her, she's doing her best, but that is not an easy character to play. Um and the actress seems to have a hard time with the role, both with the dialogue and the nature of the character. And where so you get her as opposed to an actor like William H. Macy who who is kind of a powerful actor when he needs to be. He understands how to deliver mammoth dialogue. Um, yeah, and it's just. I can give the perfect example. Okay, of, go ahead. Of this line from, from it. there's a part where the William H Macy character uses the 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 word paradigm. Okay, and the girl says, "What does that mean?" Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, "It means like model." And she says, yeah. "Well, why don't you just say it that way? Why do you have to try to sound so smart?" Yeah. Now, if that happened to me in real life, I would think that's a dumb person. Yeah. The way I read it in the play, I was like, "That's an almost philosophical question. Like, why yeah. does he have to say it like that?" But the way it's portrayed, it's just she's dumb. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, I think he, it's 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 weird. It's like he wrote a script and then didn't understand what he had read, ri- written. Yeah, it's it's very strange because there's also an element where I think in some cases maybe he was too close to certain aspects of the material because 
he is he is an uh, we haven't talked about this as a director we've only talked about him in in reference to his relationship to actors uh house of games and homicide from a cinematography standpoint an editing standpoint uh, uh a set direction standpoint he's pretty solid and he has some nice flourishes in there house of games especially like he his use of light really helps to set the scenes uh, there's none of that in Oleana. Like it, fe- we talked all about Glengarry Glen Ross not seeming like a play. Oleana is completely like a play. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do any flourishes in that thing, and uh, and it fe- as such, it feels very stagey. It feels like you're trapped with people you don't want to be with, um, mm-hmm. but not in a good way. <laughs> not in the way yeah. uh, that I'm sure it must be ex- exhilarating when you see it on stage. Um, yeah, I just I-, I feel like him directing his own material is one thing, but him directing something that he originally wrote for the stage. I think he just gets so locked into that. I got so locked into that idea that he just, I don't know, couldn't, couldn't get out of it, uh, from a directorial standpoint. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, Oleana's my, my friends and I have a weekly movie night and we watched, we, we watched Glengarry Glen Ross, Oleana and American Buffalo all in one night. And, uh, and it's odd Oleana, which, was you know directed by the writer you would think that one might be the most uh the most intriguing and the most interesting and it was by far the least right so very and it's unfortunate because that that play is exhilarating and infuriating it's everything it's really it's a great play all right so let's move on to american buffalo yeah um which i haven't seen in a while but uh is is very good and um it stars uh, Dennis Franz. Yeah. And I feel like when I think about it, I think, why isn't Dennis Franz in more stuff? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he's just, I mean, he's essentially just Andy Sipowicz now. You yeah, know, yeah. like, because that's, he didn't really do a lot after that. I don't know if that was by choice or if he was yeah. uh, just, everyone thought of him as that character or what. But uh, he is so fantastic. You think. I don't think this way anymore, but at the time that I saw American Buffalo, I still kind of was in the, even if it was almost subconscious, like, that there are film actors and there are TV actors. Right. You know? And so it was surprising to me when I saw it how well Dennis Franz holds his own against Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. And um, even saying it now, it sounds condescending. He doesn't just hold his own. Like, he's, yeah. they're equally matched in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I, luckily I've grown out of that, that way of thinking, mm-hmm. but it, uh, I credit, I, partially credit American Buffalo with changing with realizing that yeah a- actors are actors some are good and some are and some are bad yeah. and uh um it doesn't matter where they ply their trade yeah yeah it's uh yeah just in general this uh this is a, a, a tangent that uh the way the way American Buffalo was was marketed and I don't say it, I, I don't say that as somebody who watched trailers for it at the time but if you look at the DVD the cover of the DVD and the VHS and all this other stuff like Dustin Hoffman is very prominently featured as he should be. He's a big star, mm-hmm. but like it's like, and all the quotes from critics are like Hoffman is so wonderful, blah, blah, blah. Dennis Franz, he more than just holds his own. He goes toe to toe with him a- as he should. And he has, there's what fascinates me about American Buffalo. The play is how, and there's a lot of this in Glengarry Glen Ross as well. Um, in fact, I'd say most of Mammoth, but, uh, how how very very funny it can be uh-huh. um yeah. and there's a lot of that in in American Buffalo cuz these guys uh, who are directed just, American Buffalo um ah shoot I didn't mean to put you on the spot Michael ah shoot hang on uh vamp 
Uh, well, what was interesting to me, and the reason I asked about who directed it is I wonder if this was this was probably a directorial choice. Uh, that was another one where I had read the the play um, before I saw the movie, and it's amazing to me how much differently I thought of the characters when I read the play. Mm-hmm. In the movie, even though they're speaking this Mehmedian dialogue, yeah. they're they're both kind of dim. Yeah, you know, and that's a lot where the comedy comes from. Yeah. Uh, and it's just uh, that's the only reason I wondered who who directed it because when I read the the play I thought of them as, uh, for lack of a better term, low lifes. Yeah, yeah. Which they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, for lack of a better term, but um, I didn't think of them as being, uh, uh, of low intelligence as well. Right. And that's very much how they're directed and how they're played in the movie. Yeah. But not in a in a in a funny way. Not not they're not mentally handicapped people. I just right mean, right. <laughs> They're not the brightest. So, uh, so American Buffalo is currently lent out, uh, <laughs> but I did remember that the guy's name is Michael Carrenti. Okay. So, um, yes. So, uh, but it's a, a good example uh, of the brilliance of the writing in American Buffalo. Is um, yeah, we're going slow. Um, is is the like an exchange something like this, where there's Don and there's Teach, mm-hmm. and. And Don is mad at Teach because Teach said something. And and Don says, I don't want you to... Uh, Teach says something. Teach Don, is Dustin Hoffman. Teach is Dustin Hoffman. Right. Don is Dennis Franz. Teach says something that angers Don. And Don uh, says, I don't want you to say that. He goes, he goes, I apologize. I apologize. But I tell you what, I'm glad I said it. He goes, <laughs> he goes yeah, I, uh, I know. But uh, I don't want you to say it. Which is why I apologize. And so just this circular thing back and forth where, uh, you know, they're talking about breaking into somebody's house. And if he's got a safe, he probably has the combination somewhere. And Dustin Hoffman is saying, like, I f- it, you know, it's in a desk drawer. It's f- you know, I find it two, three minutes tops. It's no problem. And he goes, he goes, you know, man is a is a creature of habit. You know, there's only so many places it could be. And he goes to he goes to uh, Don and he says, for example, if you if you write something down, where do you keep it? My wallet. Exactly. And like, <laughs> as if he just made the biggest point, like, oh, you've proved my point, even though, no, the man's out of the house. He probably has his wallet on him. It's stuff like this. It's, it's such a brilliant script. It's so much fun to read. And, uh, and also just, and this film, it really, it's everything, I hate to put it this way, it's everything that Oleana isn't. It does take place in one location. Uh-huh. But he finds every nook and cranny of that location. You, you never forget that you're watching a film Mm-hmm. Uh, his like his use it's of very editing. well art directed movie. It has to be. It's a junk store. It's uh-huh. it's yeah. It's great. Um, and it's just a, it's a film that really. It's a wonderful script. He's made he. I, I've read the original play and he adapted the the screenplay himself. He's made very few changes and it's it, it's wonderful. I mean he he won his first Pulitzer, which by the way is a weird thing to say. He won his first Pulitzer for American Buffalo. And rightfully so. It's the play that put him on the map, mm-hmm. and it's just so so intriguing and so invigorating. I love the movie. Okay, let's move on to The Edge, which was directed by uh, oh, yes. Lee... What's the guy's name? Oh, I don't remember. He did Die Another Day. Oh, okay. No, I don't remember. Oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Hey, you know what? <laughs> the through line of these films is David Mamet. I can't be spending time looking up uh, you know other other details. All right, you're right, you're right. But it's not. Yeah, I'm not. To, I'm not right. I should have looked this up. <laughs> it's but. not direct. So should, should, should I have? Okay, I got the guy's first name. There um, we 
I was hoping you'd meet me halfway. No, sorry. But his his last name has more syllables, so it wouldn't have been <laughs> more effort on your part. It would have. Uh, his name is Mister Tyler. <laughs> take it from there. Um, uh, this is a movie that yeah he did not direct, yeah. and I can't even really see him directing no. a movie like this. No, um, because it's. Uh, I mean, uh, it's in a lot of ways it's an adventure film. Yeah, you know. Um, Jaws with claws. That's what it said at the time. Did it really? Yeah. No, it's not. That's, that. that's really bad. Yeah. Um, but it's um, a movie about a guy played by Harold Perrineau. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has a small role in it. Yeah. He's very good too. Yeah. Um, but no, it's a movie about two guys lost in the woods and uh, they're being sort of tracked and fucked with by a bear. Yeah. Stalked. One yeah. could say. Um, but they also have a, a complicated relationship with each other. Uh, one guy is having an affair with the other guy's wife. Uh-huh. Um, and the char- the actors are Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin. Uh-huh. And um, and I saw this, because fi- at the time I didn't know who Mamet was. Uh-huh. I wasn't really that into film. Uh, I went and saw the film twice because there was something going on with that movie. Because, like, uh-huh. I, I, you know, much like uh, when he writes for Capone or whatever... It's it's kind of a standard, oh, man against animal, right? Uh-huh. Mm, not really. This is more about men against each other, and the animal is merely just uh, what's putting the pressure sort on Sort of a them. catalyst. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, and there's, like, there's weird philosophical statements, and there's all kinds of, you know, mammoth dialogue coming out of Anthony Hopkins. He, he, he will milk every bit of irony, every bit of humor, every bit of wisdom out of that dialogue. Uh-huh. And there's all kinds of stuff because he plays a, a millionaire who's obsessed with minutia and is fascinated by trivia. So you're going to get these little bits of trivia mm-hmm. thrown out there. And it's uh, and I remember it's just I expected it to be one thing and it was something else entirely. And that something else was. Invigor- but not in a disappointing way. No, it no. Still has in that, an invigorating like it's, way. It's but it still has the things you want. Yeah. Like it's a it, there's a pretty kick ass adventure movie about like a, a killer bear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it just has all this other stuff. uh enriching it yeah it really it's it's a film and uh i think ebert actually mentions this in his review that uh it's a film that actually has a surprising amount of power Mm -hmm. and um and it it, the characters you think they're you think you know them and then over the and they think they know that they know themselves and then over the course of this uh high pressure adventure they come to know different things about themselves and it's really it's it's fascinating on that on that level as well and then of course the last card you know Powerful line, fade out. We would like to thank Bart the Bear. <laughs> and it's just like, Bart the Bear's not going to see the movie, guys. And, he, and I'm also positive he can't, he doesn't speak English specifically. And, right. uh, and it just, it, it kind of ruins the mood. And I think that's something where it's like, oh, that, that is a bad choice on the part of that director. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a film. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's so much, it's so much fun, but there really is a lot going on. I, yeah. I would compare it to a film like Crimson Tide. Oh, that's a good yeah. Where it's guys, it, it it has all the trappings of one kind of film. Taut. It's very taut. Yes, you go in. Well done, David. Uh, <laughs> you go in expecting U five seven one, and you wind up getting something so much more, and that's so much more satisfying in every way. Okay. Are you ready to uh, to praise David Mamet as a director? Uh, I, I, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we I talked about in House of Games. Yeah. That I wanted it. I kept wanting it to be either one thing or another. Yeah. Like a great character study or a really cool con man movie, yeah. you know? 
Um, but a movie can be both. Yes. And it is yeah. in The Spanish Prisoner. The Spanish Prisoner, yes. Um, which also is a movie I haven't seen since high school. Since high school. Yeah. But it's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, it's also the movie that introduced me to Cable Scott. Yep. Oh, no. Actually, I think I'd seen singles before that. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a movie that made me think Cable Scott was awesome. Yeah. Which I still know to be true today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it is all, all that. I mean, it's a, it's just a, it's a really badass uh, heist movie, mm-hmm. not heist con con, con movie. Man movie. You know, um, rated PG by the way. How? Yeah, we haven't even talked about his profanity yet. Yeah, and that's one of the things he's known for. Yeah, uh, and yet he made this movie, The Spanish Prisoner, which is which is rated PG. Yeah, um, and barely even needs to be. I think it's because there's a guy. You see, like a dead guy with a knife sticking out of his chest. Yeah, I that's think probably that's it. the only reason it's not G-rated. Yeah, there's no, there's almost nothing yeah. morally objectionable at yeah. all in this movie. Uh, it's just an amazing story, very well told. Yeah, uh, and it's something you can really get invested in from a character standpoint. Yeah, and it has Rebecca Pigeon in it. It it sure does. And okay, well, I'll deal with that in a minute. But um, yeah, the, like the uh, some of the some of the problems with House of Games is. It's established that these characters, or some of these characters, are con men from the beginning. When you know that, then every new development, you feel like, well, this is all just one con- one big con. Mm. That's all it is. And so you never. Now, of course, the idea of not trusting what anybody says—that's that's a that's a very useful dramatic tool. But it also just you also just don't trust anybody, which means you can only get invested so much. Mm-hmm. Spanish Prisoner, on the other hand, you don't necessarily know that it's a con going on, and you don't know when it stops. You think it stops here. No, it's still going. It's The, the film had the misfortune of being released, I believe, in the same year or maybe a year after the game, uh, the David Fincher film, oh, right. which was very similar, actually. But uh, yeah. I like the game, but, but I, I, I love Spanish Prisoner. It's just... One thing that, that Mamet really likes to deal with... I like with, the game because James Rebhorn is in it. He sure I is. I like that guy in everything. He's pretty solid. Yeah. Did you, see, you saw him in 30 Rock recently, Yeah, we right? talked about yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's just so much It's just so much fun. That's that's one of the things that... Mamet really, he's fascinated by a couple of things. One is the concept of business and people working and what people are willing to do to make money. Um, what, some of the... Some of to me, some of the most amusing lines are in American Buffalo, where the characters talk about like, "Hey, I'm a businessman." Wait, no, you're talking about robbing a place. That's not business. That's crime. And, but they still refer to themselves that way. They are, as David said, low lives. But so the, business is one thing, and then uh, just the constant. He's a big fan of like of movies being seen as their movies are kind of con. You know, they're cons anyway, mm-hmm. because you're being told. Hey, I'm this character. No, you're not. You know, and I'm saying these lines. Yeah, but someone wrote them. You know, mm-hmm. it just and and you just believe them because it's all about they're gaining your confidence. Right. And so I think he's always seen movies that way, and he likes he likes con movies, and um, and with Spanish Prisoner, you just get such a beautifully conceived con mixed with the idea of business because these guys are not criminals, but they're trying to do this thing. Uh, I, I won't spoil it because I'm sure there's. It's not a film that people have seen mm-hmm. that much, and it's just such a such a delightful film. I want to say way. something that's a bit of a tangent, but goes okay. to the heart of what makes a good movie. Okay. Oh, my. <laughs> I, I don't think that's that tangential. Uh, tangential. But um, 
you talked about this I- this idea that a movie is sort of a con mm-hmm. too. They're they're uh, building up our confidence. Mm-hmm. But there's a line. I want to say it's in House of Games. If not, we can erase this. Yeah. But doesn't someone in House of Games say that uh, a con a con man doesn't only get a person's confidence; he also puts his confidence in the mark. Is that uh, in House of Games? You know, I didn't watch the whole movie today, Shit. but right, it I might know. be in that. Could also be in something like uh, like Matchstick Men or something. <laughs> but I feel like something like that not. is probably. I hope it's not Matchstick Men or Confidence or in a movie that I didn't like. Yeah, um, you liked Confidence, didn't you? Uh, to a certain extent, directed by James Foley, by the way. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, but regard, you know, regardless of who it's said good, it, hey, it's a good principle of conning. It, but it's also it, if we stick with this metaphor that a movie is a con, mm-hmm. that we're putting out confidence in the movie. A good movie also puts its confidence in the audience. Absolutely. Uh, that's. I just wanted to. I just wanted to say that. I probably could have said it more eloquently. And that. And honestly, uh, to 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 bring because I agree, and we've talked about this kind of thing before that a movie trusts its audience and doesn't just assume you're an idiot uh-huh. um, and thus treats you as such. Um, I think. I think Mamet. Uh, I think he understands that as well. It wouldn't surprise me if he actually had written that line because. He does treat his audience as if they were smart yeah. and as if they are willing to go along. It's like, you're clearly you came He's into this movie. confident in the audience, not condescending. All right, I we'll get the, you next time. <laughs> I, I crossed the line. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> I, I would like you to please leave. I'll, I'll continue the episode on my own. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, he, he, yeah, he is... Uh, for all the... You know, for some of the negative things that we've said about him, he is a very smart guy who makes smart movies mm-hmm. for a smart audience. And he doesn't he doesn't really pander. He okay. and so I, I I do respect that about him. We can move on now. Yeah, let's move on to a movie. Now we talked about we talked about that there's a lot of funny stuff in uh, American Buffalo. Mm-hmm. But uh this movie we're moving on to, I think, uh yeah. is uh more a comedy than anything else. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's uh directed by Barry Levinson. It's yeah. Wag the Dog. Wag the Dog, yes. Um which is a movie that when I saw it when it first came out, I wasn't that aware of David Mamet. I knew of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. I'd probably seen it at that time, but I didn't yeah. like the name. I, it wouldn't have left out at me, so I didn't. It wasn't until I rewatched it, and it's kind of let's go back to the Aaron Sorkin thing. Okay, um, if you watch like a you watch Sports Night, you see his style all mm-hmm. over everything, you know. But if you watch um, a few Good Men, yeah. Um. You you have to be looking. It's only when you know yeah. that it's that it's Aaron Sorkin that you see the Sorkinisms in him because yeah. it's very well acted. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of what's going on in Wag the Wag the Dog. Yeah. If you didn't know to look for the David Mamet stuff, you wouldn't really see it because they're playing it honestly, and and Barry Levinson is very much putting his stamp on it. Yeah, you know. Uh, but when when I revisited it, knowing who David Mamet was and being much more familiar with his work, it's all over. It's it's all over the movie. It's, oh yeah, it's clearly him. You yeah. know, but it's not. The actors aren't uh, at all restrained, yeah. By, by, uh, well, because he didn't direct it, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's a, and that's why it's able to be such a wonderful movie. And I wonder if it would have been as funny if he directed it, because I think, I yeah, I, I don't know. He co- he did co-write it, which doesn't happen very often, right? Um, but there are, and it is, it's it's a film that, yeah, I, ma'am, it was still not quite on my register. Uh, you know, it wasn't on my radar at that point. But um, but there's stuff that when you know you're right. When you know there are certain lines, for example, 
um, that for those that don't know, it's about a, a, a fake war against uh, Albania. Mm-hmm. And uh, Willie Nelson plays a character who is uh, supposed to write a patriotic song to get people in the country revved up. And uh, and so he and a bunch of other people, Dustin Hoffman once again, um, uh, they're brainstorming. And, uh, man, I love this line. Uh, Willie Nelson says, Albania is hard to rhyme. And Dustin Hoffman goes, what are you looking at me for? It's the name of the country. <laughs> I just, I love that line because it's just, it, it, and that is like a quintessential, you know, what are you looking at me for? Like, even though, like, he, he's, he's, Dustin Hoffman has skimmed over the surface, which is, well, you picked Albania. We could pick a different country. It's like, no, he's, uh-huh. he has a problem with the fact that the country is named that. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it's just. I, stuff like that is great. That and just and repetition of certain things. I, I love Robert De Niro in this film because he's so he's very unlike himself. Um, he's kind of tweety. He's you know he's got a big right. beard um, and just stuff like him saying, you know, uh, him constantly saying, "Oh, someone says like, well, who are we going to war with?" He goes, "I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on it." And it's uh-huh. that, and it's just uh, and when you think about it, this this film also does contain a lot of the con issues. Because they are especially is, when they get pulled over by the FBI, oh. and he, which is, uh, yeah, that that scene when when Robert De Niro like talks in just an amazing circle, yeah, and ends up getting what he wanted, and the FBI doesn't quite know what just happened, and yeah. Honestly, the first time I saw it, I didn't quite know what had just happened. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I thank the you know advent of home video and DVD yeah. for me being able to like rewatch and parse that scene, yeah. but it's amazing. Yeah, he he really is a, a master of not just the style of dialogue, but also the content. Because basically, the uh, FBI or CIA—I don't recall—but William H Macy is is some kind of government agent who pulls uh, Robert De Niro over and basically says, uh, "Hey, there, well, first off, he says there's two things I know for sure: there's no difference between good flan and bad flan." And there is no war. Now, of course, that's a man line right there. Uh-huh. Because uh, I don't even know what flan is. But uh, It's a, like a Mexican dessert. Oh, okay. Well, apparently there's know. no difference between good and bad. I'm not a fan. It's very sweet. Very sweet. Okay. but uh, And then De Niro just goes into this long thing in which basically what he's saying is, yeah, well, if there's no war and you guys work for, you know, national defense, then what is, why are you around? If all your, you know, you, like, you get money from the government from people's taxes. So if there's no war, then why am I, you know, why do you have a job? And basically that's, that's the essence of what he's saying, which is an interesting argument. Uh Uh, But then, but the, the, the web that he weaves is absolutely amazing. It's, it's one of my favorite uh, De Niro acting moments. Uh It's one of my favorite little uh, moments of, of mammoth, uh, mammoth writing. It's uh, it's great. I I love I love Wag the Dog, and uh, but yeah, I agree that if he had directed, it, I think he might have put too much of a button on on some of the jokes, and uh, and like the jokes, we'll t- we'll get to Spartan later. Yeah. Um, but like there's there's funny stuff that happens in Spartan. Yeah. But or funny things that are said more, but they are very, very knowing and kind of there's like yeah. irony, whereas. Yeah. Wag the dog. Part of why the movie is so great is that, I mean, it's about this massive conspiracy, this awful thing that our government is doing. Yeah. But it's so much fun. Yeah. It's such a fun movie because you're in on it. It's yeah. fun. It's it's like when you're playing a prank or involved in a con, for example. 
uh, on someone else. It's only fun when you know about it. Right. Otherwise, if you're one of the people getting duped, then, oh, no, it's, I'm not, I feel stupid now. <laughs> well, let's go back to the uh, director's chair. Okay. And this time an actual G-rated movie, if I recall. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, the Winslow Boy. Yeah. I love the I love the movie. Okay, you're going to talk about it because this one I really don't remember. Okay. Uh, and this is the Winslow boy by uh, basically it's an old play. It's been around a long time and he's adapting it. Yeah. Um which is not the first time he's done that kind of thing. I think he adapted Uncle Vanya as well. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Um but we but, s- we still don't see a lot of period stuff from him. No, and certainly not uh, you know, Victorian British. Mm-hmm. Uh y- you would think that his he, as I said, just He's a, a writer and director rooted very much in America, an American way of speak, uh, speaking, uh, Midwest spe- specifically. And there's nothing, you know, you, there's nothing in common with, aside from the language, English, there's really nothing in common with the characters in The Winslow Boy, mm-hmm. um, which he writes and directs. And uh, and it is phenomenal. If you enjoy If you enjoy that kind of movie, you know, a period piece that's very talky, but it's and it's and it's easy to see why he saw that play or read that play and said I want to do a version of this. You'd think that he would have nothing in common with this play, but it's characters who are first off they're just, you know, they're talking a lot, but so much attention is paid to language. And people but also people the characters are trying to uncover a lie. Is there a lie? I don't know. And and just the the things that come out in these characters as they're dealing with the idea of this maybe being a lie, it, there's a lot going on, and it's got it's got Nigel Hawthorne, it's got mm-hmm. Jeremy Northam, it has Re- it has Rebecca Pigeon, uh, and I she was also in Spanish Prisoner. She's going to be in a lot of these movies, and uh, and I think I think she she's very well cast in most of these films, um, and in this she's very she's a very proper British woman. Who still is kind of ha- is is kind of headstrong, and uh, and yeah, it's and she performs the the part very well. But just it's just so much fun to listen to, and it's and it's just invigorating. Like I said, it's a smart movie for smart people, and it assumes you're smart, right. and uh, and so you may not always get what's going on. I certainly didn't. And it first. assumes you're not too cool to go see a G-rated movie. Absolutely, it's like the st- it's like the straight the story. The straight story, yeah. So uh, well, let's okay. This next film. I specifically didn't. We were talking about comedy. I did not talk about this film because I wanted to save it. Okay. For actually talking about it, so it's a comedy that he actually directed okay. this time. Uh, it's called State and Maine. Okay. Now we actually uh, skimmed over uh, a film that I that you oh. once recommended to me called Lake Boat. I didn't see Lake Boat. Yeah. Well, no, but you said I would like it. You recommended <laughs> it to me in the sense that, hey Tyler, you like this kind of crap. What do you think? <laughs> right. I heard um, about this movie. Yeah. I'm not watching it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and that's I, with uh, Ned Beatty. No, what am I thinking of? You're thinking of Spring Forward. No, Spring Forward. Uh, I'm Lake Boat. It which has is not pe- David Maimon at all. No, no. But Go- they're both movies that had almost no theatrical release. Yeah, and uh, that came out on DVD about the same time. Yeah, I'd say that's about right. Yeah. Um, and I, I, for life of me, I don't remember who directed Lake, Lake Boat, Boat, but it's got a, a really great cast, uh, including Dennis Leary, George Went of all people. But specifically, I, I will... And it's, hey, George it's, Wynn is a good actor. He is a good actor. I think. Did you see Outside not, Providence? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's great. That's right. He is pretty good in that. That's a very funny um, And, of course, there's that uh, the Michael Jackson video, Black or White. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's, it's, written, it's written fine. It's really just a series of monologues. Um, and there's one... 
that is uh, delivered by Robert Forster. And I don't know why it took so long for Robert Forster and David Mamet to meet. Uh-huh. But he delivers it so beautifully and so heartfelt. And it is one of those things where there there is often like a kind of an arm's length feel to Mamet films. His his characters don't cry. His characters don't reveal things about mm-hmm. themselves. They merely are and we have to infer things based on how they react to situations. Robert Forster's character in Lake Boat is he reveals a lot of things about himself and there's a lot of emo- there's a lot of emotion going on. He doesn't necessarily cry, but you just see he's like really just opening up in a way that you you seldom see a mammoth character do. And the film cinematically is not that great, but it's it's very well written and it's incredibly well acted. I love Robert Forrester and uh and this is this is one of his uh better performances. So that's all. We can move on now. Okay. Uh Comedies. State, state in Maine. Yeah. Um and there are some movies that came out at a certain point in my life. Yeah. Talking about an American Beauty. Yeah. Talking about a Requiem for a Dream. Okay. Movies that I thought were really good when I first saw them. Right. That when I revisit, it's almost like, I think they're horrible, but it's like, yeah, yeah. really? I liked it that much? You yeah. Know, it's got some good elements, but this is overall kind of an annoying. Yeah. I I, I just try, I tried to rewatch Requiem for a Dream recently. It showed up on Showtime and uh, yeah. 20 minutes. I was like, ah, I remember this. I don't need to see this again. Yeah, that's that's a film you don't need to see twice. Yeah, so that's that, that's what I uh, that's what why I think was thinking of that one. State and Maine kind of falls in the same category. Okay. I think you and I saw it together, or you and I you had probably already seen it. I think you yeah, saw it yeah. the second time with me. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was hilarious, mm-hmm. you know. And I think maybe because I was still technically a teenager. I mean, I was I think it was my freshman year of college, but I was okay. You know, I was like seventeen. Cause yeah. I started college early. I was a very smart guy. Um. <laughs> And I still kind of had that teenager thing, I guess, of like, I, I guess I, State of Maine is very much a movie that's kind of, it's one of many movies that are out there, like, say, The Last Shot, like movies that are okay. Uh, essentially, like, they're saying they're satirizing the movie industry, yeah, but really it's kind of all just four people in the movie industry to, you know, it's full of in jokes and yeah. it's not really going to, uh, change anybody's mind about the way the movie industry works. You know, right. it's not, it's not the player. The player is a much better movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't think but, it views itself as a hard biting satire. Yeah. But it's, uh, it, I guess I just liked being in on the joke, I guess is why I liked it mm. at the time. And now that I've, I guess, matured a little bit and I watch state and Maine, uh, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of jokes in it I like, but, uh, overall it seems kind of, I've been for five minutes now trying to avoid the word masturbatory, but that's kind of how it seems to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I actually, I, there, there's a lot of things cause I've kind of gone back and forth on it. Um, and now I'm back. Um, I loved it a lot of the time. And then after a while I realized that kind of has a third, cause again, Tricks are being played. Uh-huh. There's kind of a con thing going on uh-huh. uh, in the third act of the film that didn't really work for me because the details of it, I'm like, I don't think this could, I don't think this is possible. But again, this, I don't think this film is supposed to take place in our reality right. where each character is kind of the essence. Like, this is the essence of a producer. This is the essence of an actor. This mm-hmm. is the essence of a director. Um, but, uh, and so I, I don't think it purports to take place here. Um, but what I do like about it is it's a film that 
at first is going to be is going to show you like look how you know look how awful these Hollywood people are, but much like the much like the Simpsons episode where they try to make uh, radioactive man mm-hmm. in Springfield, he reveals that yeah actually some of these Hollywood people are fine, and some of these t- some of these like quaint townspeople are kind of like. They're corruptible, and they're kind of monstrous. Sure, yeah. And, I mean, the mayor's wife is just as monstrous as the producer. Uh-huh. You know, and and Clark Gregg's character, who's le- like a local attorney, um, he can be bought just as easily as, you yeah. know, anybody in Hollywood. And yeah, so He's good in the movie, too. He sure is. There's he, a lot of people that are good in the movie. Uh, yeah, he and, uh, like, there are people, because, like, the main characters, like, William H. Macy, Philip Seymour Hoffman... Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin. These are the kind of the main characters, and then yeah. I freak, and then I like remember sometimes like, oh yeah, Clark Craig and and yeah. David Paymer is really good in that movie too, yeah. and yeah, it has a lot of little roles. Yeah, and it's and the and this is one where oddly enough, him directing really doesn't from from an acting standpoint like the all the performances are very naturalistic. Uh, you don't get a lot of the uh, a lot of the kind of halted thing with the dialogue, and I think I think because it was just a straight comedy, I think he was somehow willing to just let things go a little bit more, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just it's a very pleasant movie if nothing else with some I would say some some pretty solid laughs in there as well. Yeah, it is. We've made fun of him casting Rebecca Pigeon and everything, but it's probably my favorite of all her mammoth roles. She is the essence of charm in <laughs> that film. Yeah. Um, and I will say one of my favorite uh, little line exchanges in the film. There's two old men that are always at this diner, uh-huh. and occasionally they'll say something uh, that serves nothing, uh, serves no purpose. And there's uh, <laughs> there's one where a guy says, well, it takes all kinds. And one goes, one guy, the other guy says, is that what it takes? I always wondered what it took. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me That's chuckle. Um, all right. Uh, we're going really long. Hannibal sucks. Written by him and a bunch of other people. Do we really, it's do a you really made, have much to say about yeah. it? It's a film made by committee. Uh, yeah. Clearly, uh, if you have the opportunity to write for Hannibal Lecter, good for you. Because <laughs> it's basically a license to be silly and yet seem so very, very smart. Right. Um, and I think he probably took advantage of that. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good stuff that Hannibal gets to say, but for the most part, the film is just a, a mess, and Mamet was just one of many people that got to write it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we can move over that. Well, let's move on to another directorial effort, one that yeah. I really like, and it is, it's the opposite of the, or not the opposite, it's to one, uh, the, the House of Games thing, where I wanted it to be one or the other. Yeah. Hi, this is Heist. Heist. Which is very much, it's like, a, it's an Ocean's Eleven kind of movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, smaller scale. Yeah. You know, but... uh uh, I mean, it, and it's got great actors in it, but I really, it, I really put it alongside a movie like Snatch. You okay. know, yeah. it's like got a lot of characters, a lot of twists and turns, a lot of really fun dialogue. Yeah, and you know, badasses and good performance. You know, well, and it's really just—I mean, the fact that it's called Heist uh-huh. and nothing else, and it—it's a heist movie called Heist. That in itself should indicate. It's more of a genre film, <laughs> yeah. uh, like a genre, not just a genre film, but a genre exercise mm-hmm. than anything else. Um, but yeah, he he scored some really great actors with this film. Yeah, I mean it's it's Gene Hackman, yeah. uh, Rebecca Pigeon, yeah, <laughs> uh, Ricky Jay, yeah, Delroy Lindo, yeah, uh, Sam Rockwell, yeah, Danny DeVito, Danny DeVito, yeah. Uh, who am I missing? Who am I leaving out? Uh, I think those are the big ones, right? But uh, I feel like I'm missing somebody. I feel like there might be one other big person. Now I don't recall who it is, but. Okay. Uh, 
But yeah, it's got Gene Hackman who who takes to the dialogue pretty well. Um, I'd say I'd say very well. Uh-huh. Uh, and much like much like Robert Forrester, uh, Delroy Lindo, how is he not in everything all the time uh, yeah. that David Mamet writes? He he's so great with it. Delroy Lindo should just be in movies that, uh, like. If there's a role in a movie that you're making yeah. that could possibly be played by Delroy Lindo, you know? Yeah, yeah. If you have to change the character's race or age or yeah. or, or gender, it can go only- right ahead. <laughs> Cast Delroy Lindo. Yeah. You'll do just fine. I've been it- saying this since I've been saying this for eleven years. Eleven years since uh, I'm going to say Cider House Cider Rules. House Rules. Yeah. Well, it's a movie that doesn't it didn't age. Is I loved it when it came out. It doesn't yeah. age all that well, but yeah. man, he is great in it. His role in Get Shorty, however, still good. Yeah. Um, and in, uh, you know what else I love him in? What? A Life Less Ordinary. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah, he's he's great. And Sam Rockwell is really good. Dan and DeVito is loads of fun. He gets some of the most. Rid- okay. So here we there, have. There's one of two lines that you're about to mention. Now. Okay. I'm not sure which one it is. Okay. So DeVito is kind of a crime boss, and David Mamet writing a crime boss in a genre exercise. Are you kidding me? Yeah. How fun is this going to be? It is a lot of fun. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and the, and there's all kinds of little like clever lines that Mamet works in and you don't care. People which don't, one is, money. <laughs> uh, what is it like? Everybody wants, he goes, everybody wants money. That's why they call it money. <laughs> Think about that for a second. It doesn't make any, doesn't sense. Make any sense, but man, it doesn't, it sound like it does. Yeah. But then it doesn't, he also have the, the, uh, the line, don't you want to hear my last words? Uh, that's right. And then well, Jackman says, "I just did." Yeah, and then blows his fucking head off with yeah. a shotgun. <laughs> did you just turn fifteen again? Because yeah, that was very. I, I did. Yeah, it's it, it is. Uh, you know, it's stuff like that where don't you? You know, it, it's things like people don't say this in life. If yeah. you've just been, in, if you're a bad guy or whatever, if you've just been in a shootout and you're dying, and the person who just shot you is standing over you, you're not going to say, "Hey, don't you want to hear my last words?" Like uh-huh. it's clearly a setup, yeah. And but it works. I mean, if, but it, it works because it, it's not. It works because it's heist. If, it's, if this were the verdict, yeah. Oh uh, my, no. it would stick out like a sore thumb. Exactly. But, but there's works. all kinds of lines like that in the film, and it's just it's just a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Um, I will say that the casting of Rebecca Pigeon in this part does not suit her. She's kind of a, you know, she's supposed to be kind of a, a slinky, uh, you know, yeah. sexy kind of broad. And uh, Which, I mean, she's Rebecca Pigeon is a very beautiful woman. It's Absolutely, just, that's not yeah, that's not her. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, heist is it, it's a lot of fun and it's okay. everything that you expect it to be. Well, let's move on to what honestly has pretty much become my favorite David Mamet movie. David Mamet directed or just anything having just to do with David? Anything Mamet? having to do with David Mamet? All right, uh, and I don't say it's necessarily the best, but it's the one I watch the most often. Okay, yeah, and that's Spartan. Spartan. Um, which is a, uh, I guess a, it's a twisty, turny government conspiracy, yeah, uh, thriller, yeah. You know, that's it's like the essence of what he's become as a as a writer and director, <laughs> yeah. Because it, you know, now he write when he writes these movies, uh, he he's his writing has become more heightened and more stylized, yeah. And his and he. And he directs his actors to not play that down. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Um, and it's also... It, his his writing is also very... In, in these later movies, uh, I'm thinking Heist, Spartan, and Red Belt, specifically. Yeah. Um, 
very almost almost utilitarian like yeah he's kind of just like getting to the point yeah you know he doesn't the, he doesn't really do anything that flowery anymore yeah. you know it's pretty much like this is what needs to be said to move this scene along yeah in, in a way um which really benefits this story because it's about military people government people right and that's the 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 term spartan is it it reflects the the character that Val Kilmer plays that he's mm-hmm. uh in uh almost just mindlessly dedicated soldier right he's very well trained and very good at his job and very unquestioning of those in charge of him yeah you know but it's also you know the word sort of sparse and spartan yeah uh you know if someone has a if someone has an a, a an apartment that just has like a bed and a chair in it that's they consider that like spartan yeah that's what it would be called and that's it all it speaks to the way that he now makes movies there's almost nothing yeah extra in his yeah. movies at all yeah it's uh it really is a an invigorating film and it it has everything that we're talking about where it's it's got lines that people wouldn't say oh, yeah. but who cares i mean it's it is it is so it's so sparse that that is style it is stylized in mm-hmm. that way yeah. and it, in what can only be described as a Thornton Wilder kind of way <laughs> um just stripping everything down to its essentials i mean the the tagline for Spartan was she's missing and i'd say like yeah i guess that's the summary isn't it <laughs> yeah. um that's the thrust of the film um it's basically about uh, it's pr- they don't specify but it's the president's daughter yeah they don't specify at all yeah but yeah, uh, a, a congressman's daughter going missing does not get this kind of activity going. Uh-huh. So uh, the president's daughter is missing, and it's basically up to a lot of people to find her. But then, uh, then they feel like then oh, the mystery's been solved. But one guy feels like mm, I think there's more to it, and uncovers you know again just a vast conspiracy, a big cover up. Yeah, and it's just uh, it's very. And it's and it is probably one of the more dynamic heroes that that Mamet has written mm-hmm. because you really don't know what makes him tick. And I think, as you say, slavish devotion to something that all of a sudden is go is not what he thought it was. And just watching him deal with that while but he doesn't have the time to deal with that. He's got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. It's really a fascinating character study as well. Yeah, but it's it's not. uh it's not easy his transition, right? You know, um, from being so devoted to to questioning, yeah. You know, uh, to essentially, eventually, like going rogue, yeah. It's not like a because even when he does go rogue or yeah. whatever, uh, it's not like suddenly he's you know James Bond or or something. Right. He's he's still the guy he was, yeah. Um, and still he's still very much by the book, yeah. Uh, even though what he's doing, he's been pretty. He's been asked not or told not to do. Yeah, uh, I'm just try- I'm trying not to give away as little as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also as as fun as it is to watch. It's it's really dark. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a a couple of scenes of just really sudden, shocking, and disturbing violence. Yeah. Um, that don't feel uh that don't feel cheap, you yeah. know, or or titillating at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, what, you, you know what I'm talking about. The one, the one guy who get who gets shot. Yeah. It's, it's li- literally, it makes me feel ill in my stomach when I think about it. Yeah. Because it's, it's so disturbing that it happened. Yeah. And it's even more disturbing when you think about who's behind it, you know? Yeah. And so, but, but it, it manages to, 
by not existing really inside of our reality, it's not it's a government conspiracy, but it's not JFK. You right. know? It's not saying specifically this is what our government does and is like. Yeah. Uh but it just it, it just like uh taints the idea of our government and our leaders in yeah. a, in a way in a more real in a way that resonates afterwards as opposed to as opposed to JFK. <laughs> it's it's a it's a good paranoia film because like you said it it doesn't say this is something our government has done. It says this is something our government could easily do. Yeah. And uh think about that as uh-huh. you leave the theater. Um and from a writing standpoint, uh this this film it really it does not waste dialogue. And he's he's a guy who sometimes will will write something just because it's fun to write. And there are moments like that, but everything in this ser- will serve a purpose at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it really, uh, in this one, bull, as you say, he's gotten kind of utilitarian in his filmmaking, but in this one, the script itself, it really reflects the the uh, philosophies of its main character. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a very complete film in every, in every sense of the word. Um, I really, yeah, it's... And it also... Um I I never saw I I didn't watch Veronica Mars right. Uh, this is the first time I had seen Kristen Bell in anything. Okay. Um, she's the girl who's yeah. missing. Um, and uh, it's uh, I, I don't it it should have sent me right to the DVD store mm-hmm. to pick up <laughs> Veronica Mars. Yeah. Because she's I mean this movie has again it's like his other movie you know it's Val Kilmer. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Ed Harris. It's not Ed Harris. Uh, William H Macy. Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. There we go. Jeez Louise, that yeah. was a complete blank. You know, today I forgot the word hypochondriac completely. Oh man, Just what's like, wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a quality joke. I, I guess that's where my brain's been today. Um, yeah, Ed O'Neill. I mean, William H Macy. Uh, it's got Derek uh, Luke. Derek Luke. It's got Clark Gregg again. Yeah. You know, um, and then this young actress that I didn't know at all, you know, and she, uh, she, I guess there's this scene in the sort of cargo uh, container Mm -hmm. towards the end between Val Kilmer and Kristen Bell, you know, and, um, she has lines that, I I mean, David Mamet isn't easy for, as you talked about with, with Rob Lowe and and Jim Belushi, it isn't easy. And, uh, she does so well with, with, when she, she ha- she says the line that she says I was raised by wolves. Yeah. Uh which man in the hands of 80% of actors out there would be kind of cringe inducing. Yeah. Uh and she does it very well. She says it as a as somebody who this is not the first time she's thought of that phrase uh-huh. and and she says it was such there's so much behind it. Uh-huh. It's not just not just here's a fun thing I'm saying. Right. It's it's said with such contempt but such Sadness at the same time, uh-huh. yeah. It's uh, that is a line that really sticks out to me. Yeah, but that also has that scene also has the funniest thing in the movie when she describes the Spartan lifestyle and what it was, and he just says, "I think we went to different schools." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, and and again in this one, there's a lot of there's a lot of amusing things as well, but mm-hmm. it's always it's there's always kind of a bite to it, um, and even that line is kind of kind of sociological you uh-huh. know she yeah. knows this thing he doesn't we went to different schools you wound up the president's daughter i'm the guy who is uh faces death pretty much every day yeah um, unquestionably yeah so um which brings us i guess 
to <laughs> to the worst movie he's ever made? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Red, Red Belt. Red Belt. Uh, now, Which David, I, you I used the word masturbatory, masturbatory earlier. Uh, I'll use it now. Um, Red Belt. We we talked about it. Going. What year did it come out? Two thousand seven or eight? 2007, I want to say. Okay. No, I could be wrong. I don't know. All right. Well, we, we cited it as like our least favorite or one of our uh-huh. least favorite movies of that year. Um, and uh, David, why don't you care for it? I almost like, like the multiple times in the movie where I just be like, you fucking with me, David Mamet? <laughs> 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 because uh, there's some really great stuff mm-hmm. in it. You know, some really great Mamet stuff. Uh, it's... Uh, Tim Allen is yeah. so so good in it, yeah. which you don't expect, you know. Uh, and then it has stuff that just feels like the most. I mean, the 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 dialogue is always there. I guess it's always very moment, but right. like the things that happen and the motivations feel like so amateurish, yeah, and, and just so and very cliche, yeah, cliched, yeah. The ending, especially. Ugh. I mean, just the way it. That's that's the main point where I was like, all right. Is he is he in the theater? Is, right. he, is he laughing at me? Yeah. <laughs> it just is this all, all right. is this all a con on me? Yeah. To get my two bucks? Yeah, we did see it at a very cheap theater. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it it really is. It, it's frustrating, and I I compare it a lot to Assassination Tango, where you get a guy. What is the name of the of the martial art in Red Belt? Well, it's it's mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts, just a- MMA. Okay. Yeah. So and it's something that he is clearly fascinated with, just as Robert Duvall is fascinated by the tango, and they just and they try to make a movie around that that will incorporate their love of it and maybe fascinate enough other people that they'll love it too. And so he tries to just shoehorn this in to and also keep his usual like con thing going with twists and double crosses and stuff. And it just it all just feels so so st- so fake, and he and that's the thing is he he's a director who can seem fake a lot, but often doesn't. This one seemed fake. It it all seemed very forced mm-hmm. and very, as you say, amateurish. Like you, and that, I think that's the problem is he made something he was passionate about. And don't get me wrong, uh, you should probably make things that you're passionate about. But he was so passionate about the thing that I think he just he was he was blinded to the fact that maybe not everybody finds it that interesting and also i'm fairly certain that in the world of mixed martial arts you won't find this kind of espionage <laughs> um i don't know i'm not a part of it who knows yeah so so uh, to sum up to sum up well the career though to sum up okay cuz we uh, this is we talked about david Mamet for 2 hours i know i will say that a uh, dedicated audience though that uh, it, it looked like it fell fell apart but i think it's it's back up on his imdb page that the next thing he's doing is diary of anne frank oh right right uh i am uh, here's the thing i'm cautious and yet i do also think there's a potential for it to be genius yeah him doing that could really i don't know i'm fascinated to see how that turns out yeah but to, to sum up, David Mamet is probably uh, certainly one of the greatest living writers, and yeah. maybe one of the greatest uh, writers of of, dr- of drama of all time. I'd say so. Uh, but at the same time, he's had a very uh, spotty, checkered, yeah, uh, history with cinema. Yeah. Uh, and and that's why that, that's why we were able to talk for two hours about yeah because we didn't talk about that many more films than we would in a normal 
profile yeah. episode, but there's something fascinating about every one of his films. Well, it should be noted, like, you know, he is he's still, in spite of the fact that I didn't care for Red Belt, and I feel like as a director, he's still, <coughs> excuse me, he's still uh, kind of iffy. In spite of all that, I'll still go see his movies. Like, sure. he's yeah. always enough, there's always enough there. Like, he's bought so much goodwill. I mean, we listed a lot of movies. <coughs> Excuse me. We listed a lot of movies. Like, I love The Verdict, Glengarry Glen Ross, American Buffalo, The Edge, Spanish Prisoner, Wag the Dog, Winslow Boy, uh, Heist, Spartan. Like, that's a lot of movies I love uh-huh. and that are very distinct. I mean, you can't, you know, he is he's a writer and a director that... One way or another, you can say like, "Well, if somebody else wrote this, or if somebody else directed this, the story was the same, but they, but it was a different writer. It wouldn't be the same, and it wouldn't be as good. And it's just, uh, he's just, uh, as you say, he's very fascinating. He's always interesting, and uh, yeah, he's he's a great writer, and at times a great director. Yeah. <coughs> so okay. all right, I am losing my voice here. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm. Coughing, I I got something in my, in my lungs. All right, let's talk real quick. Um, there's still you still got a, a few weeks here to uh, yeah. to to win some awesome prize packages. We got we got Graham Elwood's DVD or, or, or a record uh, CD. Yeah, Ugh. we have <laughs> Kyle Kinane's CD. Yeah, we have uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, signed. Yeah, uh, by Nathan Basil. Uh, we've got a uh, Kavi. We've yep. got uh, we've got a bunch of stuff to to give away. Yeah. Um, in our in our donation drive, all you have to do is before the end of April, uh, donate at least five dollars. Yeah, and your name gets entered in. Yeah, if you uh, this is now this is all on the the homepage and on the on the donate yeah. page. We got plenty of places on the website for you to absolutely for you to give us money. Um, if so, that's five dollars or more get your name entered. If you do a donation subscription, which yeah. is two dollars a month for a year. Uh, you, you set it and forget it. You don't even feel it. You don't even feel it. Um, and, and if you if you do that again before the end of April, your name will get entered twice. Twice. Uh, so that's that's two chances to win. Uh, awesome prize packages. Absolutely. So, um, in addition to that, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. dot com. That's yep. where uh you'll find all the info about the the um the donation drive. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter dot com slash the pretension. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash more lessons, which is the Twitter feed for his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at more than one lesson.com. That's right. Uh, you can email us, David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, write a review, it helps. Uh, also, make, I make sure you've got the right podcast, by the <laughs> yeah. way. Um, also, I wouldn't mind if you found my other podcast on iTunes. It's called Previously On. You can write us a review there. Um, other than that, thanks for listening. Uh, for two hours and we'll get you next time bye bye